And howdy. Welcome to another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast. Doing another redraft pod, stepping back in time to the 2005 NHL entry draft. And I'm pleased to be joined by prospect writer for Dauber Prospects, as well as FC Hockey, Tony Ferrari. Tony, thanks for coming on. How are you? No problem. How are you? I'm doing good. Right on. So let's set the stage a little bit. Uh, where were you at in hockey fandom, following hockey? What do you remember from 05? Well, in 2005, I was 12 years old. I think I just turned 12 before the draft. And uh, I remember that was the first year I really, really got into the draft because of the Crosby sweepstakes and everything, all the drama. And after having no hockey for a year and a half or almost two years, like it, it felt like just everything was coming up to that moment. And when, when, when they finally announced the Penguins as getting the number one pick, I remember watching the lottery and seeing Brian Burke's face just like drop instantly and how mad uh, Doug McLean was when the Columbus Blue Jackets got the sixth pick. Just the lottery itself was such a fun time. Yeah, that draft lottery was unprecedented because this is coming off of the 05 lockout season. There's no season. So they end up with, like you said, the Crosby sweepstakes, which is the lottery draw where they draw for all 30 picks in the draft. And it's a weighted lottery. So the the weighting was you could get three balls maximum. And if you had made the playoffs in any of the three previous years, you lost a ball. And if you had selected first in any of the previous four drafts, not counting trades, you also lost a ball. So Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Columbus, and the New York Rangers are the only four teams with three balls. And then about half the league has two, and then and then the rest only have one ball. And teams like Florida, who hadn't actually picked first overall, but had traded away the number one pick a couple of times, they end up not having they just have the one ball and they end up picking like 25th or something like that so some teams on tough times really do well in this and then some teams don't and do you subscribe to the theory that this thing was rigged for the penguins i've I've always heard that and i've always kind of like in the back of my mind it's always been there but i don't 100 percent believe it but i mean sports there's always talk about stuff like that and everything so yeah, Batman came from the NBA and it's always been indicated Knicks. that yeah, <laughs> the Knicks with the frozen letter for Patrick Ewing. So, I wonder yeah. if he didn't pick up a uh, a little trick of the trade there. But regardless, like you said, the number 1 pick does go to Pittsburgh and that kicks like that really finishes off the most insane three-year run of drafting by any team. And I just wanted to share this, uh, this note from uh, the Caps owner, Ted Leonsis, after this draft lottery. He's, he's comparing Crosby and Ovechkin to Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, which I think is rather prophetic in, in the way that they carried the league coming out of the lockout and the dead puck era. And he also, you know, he's talking about how he thinks that 
it's great that Crosby's going to be in his division because he's going to help them sell tickets whenever they come to town. He just doesn't want to have to play them in the playoffs all the time. And boy, was he right. Yeah. Oh, man. The dueling hat tricks in the playoffs is still one of my favorite hockey memories. No doubt. Um, And yeah, you mentioned some of the GMs not really being happy with how the lottery shook out. And I was reading a oral history from Sports Illustrated and Brian Burke is talking about how his team ends up second and he still doesn't think that the process was fair, but that's the way it shook out. Um, So let's go through the actual draft order the top 15, as we mentioned, number one, Pittsburgh Penguins take Sidney Crosby. And just going back and watching the old videos, it struck me how even at 18, he was so polished. Doing this redraft series, I've gone back and watched other draft classes and the kids are not very polished, but he kind of starts off that wave of the kids coming in at 18 and already knowing the process. Yeah, he was, uh, I I went back and I watched like some interviews from right before the draft with him and right before the lottery. And he, he just looked like a a guy that's been in the league 10 years. He knew what he was going to say. He knew every question that was coming. Like you said, just polished to a T. Yeah. Just the hockey robot. Uh, as you indicated, Anaheim ends up at number two, and they take Bobby Ryan. Brian Burke indicated at the time that he didn't think teams were as high on Ryan as they were. I think he's ranked number three in North America by CSS, number five by ISS. So he's he's pretty high ranked, but he, he thinks that they could maybe trade down and still get him, but no one's biting on his trade down. So they take him at number two. And then at number three, Carolina takes Jack Johnson. And did you see the NHL All Access on this draft where Jay Feaster is doing his interview with Johnson and he asks him about his biggest fear? And then he tells him that one of the other players said that their biggest fear was Jack Johnson. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) He's like, well, I guess I'm doing my job. Yeah. I always forget Jack Johnson was drafted by the Canes. I always remember him as a King early on. Yeah. Well, so what ends up happening with him is he goes to Michigan. Yep. And the Carolina Hurricanes keep trying to get him signed. Like I'm sure they tried to sign him out of the draft not even have him go and by the time he declares to go to Michigan for his sophomore year he's like no I'm gonna play another year at fall of 06 the Canes are coming off their cup win and they're like we've got holes in our lineup that you're supposed to fill so they end up trading his rights to the Kings for Tim Gleason and Eric Belanger and yeah it's always one of those things that I'm just like oh yeah he was drafted by the Canes yeah, and it did, that didn't work out for the Canes so well. <laughs> I also wanted to note that just going back and reading some of the draft profiles on Johnson, they're talking about how his family makes like a ton of sacrifices for him. They pick up and move a couple of times so that he can play at 
Shattuck St. Mary's and then for the national team development program in Michigan. And then you contrast that with how it ends up working out in the end where he's like, he has to file for bankruptcy because his parents have been running up like massive loans against his future earnings. And it, it all ends quite horribly and, and unfortunately. Yeah. That wasn't a good story. I remember when that all came out, I was like, really? Like, I just couldn't, couldn't believe it happened. And then, yeah, he just, now he's basically working to get his money back at this point. Yeah. I think, I think he's all, he's all settled now. And that, uh, that Pittsburgh Penguins money is going to yeah keep him and him and his family uh, in, in the black for quite some time, I think. So at number four, the Minnesota Wild take Benoit Pouliot. And this one seems like it kind of comes out of left field. Like he's a late bloomer. He, he doesn't really play in the OHL until his 18-year-old draft year. And then suddenly he's a top five pick. Yeah, I, I remember looking back at the Central Scouting and he was second on Central Scouting's board. And I was like, Benoit Pouliot, really? Man, it's, it's a weird one. Yeah, and his path is interesting because he he gets that bust label thrown at him pretty quickly when he struggles for Minnesota. And then he ends up getting swapped for Guillaume Latondresse to Montreal. And both of those guys are struggling in their respective cities. So it's a change of scenery trade that ends up actually working out for both sides. Both guys play way better in their new destination. And I don't think Pouliot's getting redrafted for us, but he has a run as an analytics darling for a while there. Yeah, he was just a, a solid NHLer for a, a long time. And it's he's probably not a top 15 player in this draft when we look back on it. But yeah, he's a, he was a solid NHLer. Mm-hmm. Uh, at number five, the Montreal Canadiens, they select Carey Price. And did you see Pierre Mag- mcguire's legendary rant about <laughs> oh, price man. not being a fit for the canadians the the pierre <laughs> mcguire is something he, he's a fun guy to watch that's all i'll say <laughs> oh man it, it's great and after mcguire's rant bob mckenzie cites gilbert gilbert brule mark stall and anze kopitar as other options they could have considered and <sighs> one of those picks would have been awesome and some of those other <laughs> picks are landmines. So I think they did just fine. And Bob Gainey even kind of addresses it to James Duthie after the pick. And he kind of lays it out that while it's not a need for them, they're just picking for best player available, which is interesting to do with a goalie in the draft because of how scattershot that can be. But it, it really works out for them. I think our, our redraft is going to put that to the test. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where goalies generally don't, go that high but when I look back at the drafts in the early 2000s there was always almost a goalie going early in the first round it seemed like whether it was Flurry or Price there was always someone up there mm-hmm. Luongo another one yep at number six the Columbus Blue Jackets select Gilbert Brule I can't say his name Gilbert Brule <laughs> and he's got a ton of hype coming into this draft uh, I remember a recounting of this draft and Jeff Merrick is calling him Crosby West was kind of how people yeah. thought of him coming in. 
Sorry, I was going to say my biggest memory was Joe Bro Brule was trading for him in the NHL video games in like 2005, 2006. And just with his like insane potential, he'd be like a 92 overall year three. He's just never really worked out to be that. Yeah, he was an awesome video game player. Like his video game status well eclipsed anything that he did in the actual NHL. And did you see Doug McLean when he's working for Sportsnet? He does a recounting of how at this pick for them, it was down to Brule versus Kopitar. And ultimately he ends up falling back on how could we take a Slovenian over a Canadian? And that's a decision that haunts him to this day. Yeah. Something I watched this morning was about him, him recounting that. And he, he kind of went, well, I, I made the pick, but it wasn't the right one. Yeah. <laughs> and like everyone on the panel laughed and it's just, it's one of those things, right? Like not every draft pick hits. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Brule is still playing in the KHL for the Kunlun Red Star. So, yeah. At number seven, another landmine here, Chicago takes Jack Skilly. And then at number eight, San Jose, they trade up from number 12, giving up a second and a seventh to move up to number eight with Atlanta. And they take Devin Setaguchi, who had a nice little run. Yeah, he had the, the 50 goal season. and Well, that was, was uh... Chichu. Oh, yes, that was Chichu. He was the next yeah. Chichu. Yes, he was, the, he was Chichu's replacement. Exactly. On the Joe Thornton line. That's what it was. Yeah, he, he had a decent little run. Yeah, and he ends up being a piece of the Brent Burns trade. So yep. San Jose is still enjoying some of the fruits of this draft class. At number nine, Ottawa takes Brian Lee. And he, he kind of fizzles. He, yeah. you know, he never really makes it. He's got some knee injuries and he ends up, I think he's retired by like 26 because of a torn ACL and a third surgery on his knee. At number 10, Vancouver's picking and David Poyle is offering number 18, number 40 and a third rounder in the next season to move up to number 10 with Vancouver, but Vancouver declines. And I just really want to know who Poyle would have picked at number 10. Cause if it's Kopitar, that's like a franchise changing situation, like offer them more, make that. Happen. Yeah. Like that's one of those things where it's like, if they are training up for Luke Bordon, then just, it's a good move that it didn't happen. But if, yeah, if, if, if Anze Kopitar was the pick there, give up another pick or send something over. I know, right? And unfortunately, Bourdon looked like he was going to be a player, but he passes away in a motorcycle accident. Far too young. At number 11, the LA Kings, as we made reference to, they select Anze Kopitar. And because this draft was so late in the summer, Kopitar's season in Sweden had already started, so he doesn't make it over for the draft and so I there's like forgot about that yeah so there's just reading that si uh oral history they've got a picture which is great unintentional comedy of the king's front office group just holding up a kopitar sweater in front <laughs> of them and there's, there's no player there <laughs> that's awesome uh number 12 atlanta moves down again they 
trade with the Rangers, picking up number 16, a second for the number 12 pick. So the Rangers move up and take Mark Stahl, which ends up being a pretty darn good pick for them. Yeah, Stahl played. He's still going. He's had, he's had some injuries the last couple of years, and his career's kind of slowed down quite a bit. But, I mean, he was, a service, he was a good serviceable defenseman, good guy in the locker room and everything. So it's a good pick. Mm-hmm. And just to do a, a little bit of a recap on what Atlanta ends up doing with this draft. So the sum total of their selections, they end up taking Alex Bure at number 16, and then they use those extra picks that they picked up to grab Andre Pavlich, Chad Denny, and Miles Stotes. And yeah, that doesn't work out very well for them. Yeah, Andre Pavlich was the goalie, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he probably ends up better than some of the guys in this top 15. So could be worse. At yeah. number 13, the Buffalo Sabres, they take Merrick Zagrappen. I got nothing. A great video game name. That's, that's all I got for you. <laughs> yeah. Number 14, the Washington Capitals, they take Sasha Pocklock, who... I always saw his name and just thought about popping and locking, <laughs> but he, he doesn't play. He's, he's actually looks like he's quite the reach because he's not even ranked in the top 30 of this draft. And then at number 15, the New York Islanders, they take Ryan O'Mara again. He, he was ranked pretty high, but he de- doesn't end up quite making it. He just has a, a long pro career elsewhere. But some first-rounders of note in this draft, Tuka Rask, TJ Oshie, Matt Niskanen, Andrew Cogliano, Steve Downey, Martin Hansel, and then some later picks of relevance, Blasek, Latang, John Quick, Ben Bishop, Nick Chalmerson, Paul Stastny, Keith Yandel, James Neal, Patrick Hornfist is the last guy picked in this draft. Yeah, Mr. Irrelevant, all the way to the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. should, it should be noted that this draft is the start of the NHL going down from nine rounds to seven rounds, which is the current format. So we've kind of set the table here, Tony. Let's, uh, let's do our redraft. Why don't you go ahead and take Crosby number one? All right, that's fair. I'll take Crosby number one. That's a, it's an easy pick. <laughs> no doubt. So, I mean, obviously I think he's the greatest player of our generation. So my question for you is where does he sit in the all-time pantheon? Oh, that's a tough one. Like I, I, with Crosby, I, I like to put him a little bit higher than some people. Like I like to put him in that top 10 challenging that top five, because those years we lost to concussion, like they all looked like they were going to be so good. And any time he got in, in playing in between those concussions, he was just tearing it up. So he's a top 10 player all time for me, but uh, he could have been so much more. Yeah, that's right around the line where I have him as well. I don't think he, I don't think he got to do enough to crack the top five. No, he, he's still going. So he, he could do it yet. But yeah, as you mentioned, from 2010-11 through 2013, where he's battling those concussions and basically misses half the games. He ends up scoring 159 points in 99 games, which 
if those are all full seasons, he's scoring 132 points a year had he been able oh. to sustain that. So now you're talking about a guy who you can put in the top five all time, especially with his Stanley Cup rings and everything else. So I don't think he quite cracks Mount Rushmore because we lose out on those pinnacle seasons, but he's damn close. Yeah. At number two for the Anaheim Ducks, I'm going to take Anze Kopitar. That's a pretty solid pick. Like, He's been this powerhouse number one center in LA for so many years. He's got the cups. I mean, there's, I, I think at the second pick, you're kind of left with two or three choices and he's easily one of them. Yeah. I mean, how much of a nightmare does that duck team become if you add Kopitar to Getzlaff and Perry, not to mention when he breaks in as a rookie, that's the Ducks cup year with Niedermeyer and Pronger. Like, do they win two or three more adding a Selkie guy to that whole team? Oh man, that team could have, that's a crazy thing, right? Like they already won the cup. So like, we're talking, do they win two or do they win three? Cause of one guy and Anze Kopitar is that good. Like he might've been the, the missing piece to a, a, a short dynasty. For sure. Like he, only ends up in the Hart Trophy conversation in four seasons. His his point totals are a little suppressed, but he's a top five guy one time, and he's got two Selkie trophies on his mantle. He's basically behind only Datsuk and Bergeron as the elite defensive centermen of our time. So it, it'll be interesting to see where where his career ultimately gets perceived but certainly he he's one of the best of this generation so at number three picking for carolina who are you going to take tony i i think this is where we prove prove uh montreal right and i go carry price here yeah that's that's who i had there as well you know you wonder if it gets a little bit awkward with cam ward once price starts coming along but i mean price already had to deal with that with Halak in Montreal yeah. anyway. So do you think, do you think Cam Ward's holding up Carey Price at all? I, I don't think for, for very long, at least. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're probably right there. And you wonder if they don't, uh, don't do a little bit better with Price being able to take over for Cam Ward once Ward's game starts to go south. Um, how many years do you think, like, where does Price rank among the best goalies since Hasek? I don't know. He's, because there have been, there have been years like the Hart Trophy year and whatnot, where he's far and away the best goalie in the league and he's like just dominant. But the last couple of years have gone not great with injuries and inconsistencies. And now his contract runs on forever. So who knows how long that's going to last. And, He's, he's probably a top five goalie since Hasek, I'd say. I mean, are we talking since the end of Hasek's career? Because that's like 2008, right? Yeah. No. So, yeah, he's probably the best goalie. Him and Lundqvist's up there. Yeah, I, I'd say he's, he's definitely top five. Like, he has – certainly you mentioned it, that Hart Trophy year where he's the best goalie in the league at that time. And – it probably could have been a four-year run. Like he, the year before that, I think he finishes third or fourth to Tuka yeah. Rask in the Vesna. 
And then, but those two seasons, he saves 60 goals above average, which is just an insane run. Insane. And then if he doesn't get hurt the next season in November and basically lose that whole year, and then he bounces back the following year and is pretty good. Like that could have been a four year all time run if he doesn't get derailed by that knee injury. Yeah, that that knee injury is kind of where things somewhat started to go down for him, right? Like, since he came back from that, he's been overworked in Montreal because they don't really have anyone else, and they're relying on him to get them into the playoffs every year. And he's just kind of almost seemed worn out the last couple years. I I hope he gets back to the form he was at or even close because when he's at his best, he's fun to watch. For sure, and it's it's interesting to see – because there's other goalies in this draft class, Tuka Rask, Ben Bishop, John Quick, they all kind of bat around that number one goalie in the NHL title as well for points in their careers. So it's just interesting to see how fickle that position could be. Yeah. All right. At number four for the Minnesota Wild, I'm going to go with Chris Letang. Uh, that's that's a, a solid pick, and it goes right along with Minnesota's defensive drafting all the time. I mean, he's a little he's he's dynamic. He's got that offensive game to him, but he's just such a complete defenseman when you look at his overall game. Like he's he's fun to watch. He's again like like Crosby. He's dealt with so many injuries that what could have his what could have his career been at this point, right? So he's one of those guys that he's easily a top five guy in this draft, I think, and. It sucks because, we, like I said, we did miss some time with injuries. Yeah, I've always wondered with Latang because he's famously a workout warrior. And I wonder if to be the defenseman that he is, if he doesn't have to push every single ounce of himself to the absolute limit or else he would just be like another guy. But because he pushes yeah. himself to the limit, he gets to hit these huge highs but then also is never going to be able to sustain it because he's just pushing too hard. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, that would, that would help explain some of the weird injuries he's had. Like, cause it's not just concussions with him. He's had like little nagging things like shoulder issues that have bothered him for full seasons and whatnot. So I wouldn't shock me if his overworking out kind of is what does it for him. Mm-hmm. And he never, He's never won a Norris, but he's been in the mix mix a bunch of times. He's got a couple of top two finishes. Both of those seasons landed him on second team All-Star. So we're talking, you know, top 10 type player in the league level. He's got top 10 finishes in the Norris four other times. He's gotten heart votes a couple of years. Like he's, he's definitely in the mix. One of the things that I've done since I had uh, Dom Luschishin on the, 2003 redraft pod he ran the numbers for his game score value added and Latang has had like three seasons where he's been the number one defenseman by game score value added now some of that is situational but a lot of it is just a testament to how talented he is oh and I believe it because when like I said Chris Latang's one of those guys when he's at his best he's dominant on the ice and with that Penguins team, it's just – it's scary to think about sometimes if they could stay healthy all at once for extended periods of time. Yeah, it's kind of amazing that they win that one Stanley Cup, that last one, and Latang's not even there. Yeah. 
their like number one defenseman, Ron Hainsey. Ron Hainsey. <laughs> you beat me to it. Uh, okay, so at number five for the Montreal Canadiens, they can't get their guy in price. So let's see where you go, Tony. Uh, I think they stick with a goalie and go to Karask. And we're, uh, we're five for five here. We're in lockstep. That's exactly who I had as well. Yeah, he's just – he's such a good goalie that, like like you said, at times he's batted around that title of being the best goalie in the league. And, I mean, as a Leafs fan, it really pains me that we chose Justin Pogge over him. <laughs> yeah, that, that oh. was an unfortunate decision. Yeah, his 2013 through 2015 is – is right up there against prices. Like he, he wins that Vesna in 2014. He has a, a top five finish the year before that. He's got 57 uh, goals saved above average over that three year stretch. And I mean, he's been ever since then, he's only been like a one a guy. Like they've been, they've been lightening the load on him, but he's been the backup on a cup champion as well as the starter on a couple of cup finalist teams. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's denying that Tuka Rask is a good goalie at this point. I know sometimes Boston fans like to get on his case, but he's such a good goalie that it – I mean, watch again, I'm a Leafs fan. I've watched him destroy my team in the playoffs for a few years in a row now, and it's just heartbreaking that he used to be ours. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't figure out a way to have them trade up for him here. (laughs) All right, so picking for Columbus at number six, and I feel like there's a little bit of a drop in talent here, and that lands me with Paul Stastny. Ooh, Paul Stastny, what a good center. He's he's just one of those guys that, He's been a, a low-end number one center in his career for such a long period of time. And there were years where I don't think people appreciated him enough in Colorado because he was putting up decent point totals. Like, he was always a good two-way guy. Like, he's, he's one of those guys that I don't think he gets enough love for how good he actually is. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about when he breaks in, he's the number two behind Joe Sackick. And then the torch gets passed to him. And those teams are no longer competing for cups and they kind of, they go into this lull where they're not what they once were and they don't really get back to it until McKinnon and the gang show up. So it's been quite the lull and he's kind of the face of the franchise for a time when they're in that lull. He only gets heart votes in one season, but getting heart votes at this point in the draft is probably a good deal. And like you said, like a, a low-end number one. Once he leaves Colorado, he's like a really good number two on a whole bunch of teams, and he's continuing to do that today. So yep. I'm, I'm satisfied with my pick. At number seven, Chicago Blackhawks. Who do you got, Tony? Oh, well, there's two defensemen I was choosing between. One's really offensive and one's really defensive. So I'm, I'm going to go with the defensive guy, and I'm going to choose Vlasic here. Interesting. So I had those two guys a little bit farther down the rung, but Vlasic is maybe the premier shutdown defenseman in the league for five or six years there. Yeah, he was – Excellent defensively. His offensive side's always been somewhat limited, but the, the, the way he was able to control play in his own end and with San Jose, he's always been able to have 
uh, a running gun guy beside him. So it's worked out really well. And he's, he's carved himself out a really nice career as one of the premier defensive guys in the league. Yeah. And just speaking to that game score value added as a guy who you mentioned, never an offensive guy, he never scores 40 points once in a season. He's a top 10 guy by game score value added twice. So that just tells you how valuable his two-way play was. All right. I think that brings me up at number eight. And I'm looking at three different forwards. And you could you could go for Bobby Ryan or James Neal, but I settled on TJ Oshie. And I wonder who you would select out of that bunch, Tony. Uh, I think out of that bunch, I probably would have done the same thing with the, as you because TJ Oshie, he's another one of those guys where he's just a really good complimentary piece on a team. And he, he's been fairly consistent over his career, whether it was in St. Louis or Washington. And he's just been one of those guys. And I mean, he was a key member of that Washington Cup run. Uh, I love that pick at that spot. Yeah, the thing that settled it for me, like James Neal has – a 40 goal 80 point season but that's also the Malkin MVP year but it lands him on the first team all-star team but I just wonder what like how far do you have to go down the rungs before you reach a player who's not talented enough to get 40 goals with MVP Malkin and we know it's someone better than Patrick Hornfist because those two get traded for each other and Hornfist is never a 40 goal guy although he's He's a, he's a different type of player, but I, I kind of ruled out James Neal for, for having hit too, too big of a high alongside a superstar and then never really doing it again. Um, Bobby Ryan is, he's outrageous. His first four years in the league where he scores 30 goals each season. Yeah, the Anaheim years for Bobby Ryan were something really, really special. Like, he validated that number two pick. Yeah, and if he would have kept that going, I think that he ranks a lot higher in this redraft. But unfortunately, we find out later some demons, some alcoholism that uh, that probably helped to derail his career. So ultimately, I landed on Oshi. While he never hits the highs of the other guys, he only has one 30-goal season. The other two have hit that multiple times. Uh, just the, the fact that when he goes to Washington, they really cement themselves as championship contenders again, but they lose in heartbreaking fashion in back-to-back years to the Penguins. And then he hits free agency. And the locker room is so adamant that they have to have him back that they end up giving him absurd long-term money that any rational actor isn't giving him, but they had to have him. And immediately after signing that deal, they go out and win the cup and completely validate the decision. Yeah. When, when he signed that contract, people were trashing it. Like people did not like that deal, but I mean, if you're Washington's GM, you look at the cup and you go, I don't care. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm going to be honest. I didn't like that deal. I, yeah, but it, it worked out. So you can't say anything about it. At number nine for the Ottawa Senators, who do you got, Tony? Uh, for the Ottawa Senators, I, I think I'm going to go with the puck-moving defenseman with Keith Yandel. I know he's, 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 a, he's another guy that, like, he's played in Arizona, he's played in Florida, so he doesn't get a ton of recognition and stuff, but 
he's just a, he was a really good puck mover when I mean he's kind of a black hole defensively during some years in his career but when, when he can put up numbers like he did on those Coyotes teams early in his career it, it it was impressive he's a really good defender and I mean he's still putting up points in Florida now so yeah it's amazing that he's done it for a whole bunch of irrelevant teams for the most part but he does go to two conference finals he he went with the rangers when he gets traded there and he also did it with that surprising 2012 coyotes team so when his teams have been good it's not like he's vanished and he's also legendarily a an iron man guy i don't think he's missed a game since 2009 he plays through that uh, that 2015 conference finals run with the Rangers with a separated shoulder. I think in 2016, he ends up breaking his foot and still finishes out the season. Like yeah. just, just an absolute Iron Man, which you wouldn't expect for, I don't know what, what is seen as kind of a finesse guy. Yeah. Like an offensive defenseman, you don't think is going to be the guy that's the Iron Man, but he pulled it off and he, he made a great career out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I had, uh, I had the forwards a little bit, higher than him but certainly it's it's really hard to argue with Yandel at number 10 that brings me up and I'm going with the powerhouse first four years of Bobby Ryan's career and seeing what happens Uh, from there honestly I think that that's that's a bet you're willing to take because in hindsight maybe in a different organization or a different setting things would have been a little different in his personal life but those first four years of his career, man, like I remember every single time I, I'd get to watch him when the Leafs would go to the West Coast or whenever I'd turn on an Anaheim game. And he was just so dominant at times, just a power forward who was a shot that beat goalies without even trying at times, it seemed. Yeah, and he does so much of that work as a guy who really wasn't getting power play time mm-hmm. on those teams. So – it, like it's it's even strength scoring so the fact that he was able to do so much offensively it, it really it really jumps off the page when you're looking at that and I'm just thinking about how Bobby Ryan adding just another offensive weapon for you his first four years would have fallen in the Canucks Stanley Cup run year and boy wouldn't that have been nice oh man imagine Bobby Ryan on the line with the Sedins yeah, that that that's that's illegal. <laughs> okay, at uh, at number eleven, the Los Angeles Kings they really get hooped by this redraft. Who you got? Yeah, they they lose that on Anze Kopitar, but uh, yeah, they get a guy that, like you said, he scored forty goals before alongside Malkin. So I think James Neal's the guy to go with here. Yeah, the real deal. I, uh, yeah, I can't disagree with this pick. The guy who hates Calgary, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to, uh, I think he get he loses some points for being one of the dirtier players in the league. Yeah. He's, uh, he's one of those guys that don't get talked about for being dirty though. Mm-hmm. I, I, like you, you always see him doing dirty stuff. He's always chopping the back of guys ankles or in front of the net. Like how many times have you seen him put his stick between a guy's legs and stuff, but He's just one of those guys that scores 20 goals basically every year and you can't complain. Yeah. Even a year when he's like an albatross, he finds a way to 
score 20 goals for the Oilers. Well, 19, but he probably gets to 20. Yeah. Um, Neil, he almost pulls off the Hosa going from Stanley Cup final with the Preds to Stanley Cup final with the Knights to, and then Calgary, they blow it. They lose in round one. Yeah. He doesn't do, he doesn't do the full Hosa. Oh, too bad. But uh, yeah, I think it's a testament to him. Those were fun. Yeah. Yeah, Those were fun. Okay. So at number 12, the New York Rangers and they really don't need a goalie, but I'm kind of at the point where it's goalie or bust and I could go for quick or Bishop and I'm going to go with Ben Bishop. It's a solid pick. Ben Bishop, he's, he's, he's either always good or always bad. And it, it lasts for a season at a time, and you don't know what you're going to get. But for the most part, it's been good. Like, he's had really good years, especially the Dallas years. His Dallas years have been great. Yeah, it's really scattershot. He has three seasons where he's second place, third place, second place in the Vesna. <laughs> but he ultimately finishes behind – I think he finishes behind a Bobrovsky season and a Vasilevsky season. But last year, like you said, in Dallas, like he only starts 46 games, but he's 32 goals saved above average. He he had a year last year. And like, like, like I said, he only played 46 games, so people weren't talking about him for the Vesna, but – He's, he was so good. Like, it was hard not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if he starts even, like, four more games, hits that 50 start mark, he, he could probably sneak that thing away from yeah. Vasilevsky. Can we talk about some of the trades that he's been in? Because, like, he – I don't know. His career is super weird to me. Oh, he's been in some weird trades. The trade to go from Tampa to L.A. or – yeah. Yeah. Because that was the thing, right? Yeah, he gets sent there – it's like the one year that LA, since their cup runs, they, I don't even think they end up making the playoffs that year. No, but I think they, they ended up missing out, but. They're, they're trying to contend and if they're, they're not sure if Quick is going to be healthy or not. And he ends up getting traded for Eric Chernak, Peter Budai, and there's some late pick shuffling. But like, I think LA would like a redo on Eric Chernak. Yeah, for sure. Like he's it's one of those trades where I look at and I'm like, at the time I was like, okay, like this is a weird deal. And looking back on it years later, I'm like, why did Bishop ever go to LA? Like just to be the backup and they gave up Chernak and it's a weird yeah, one. They end up trading him to Dallas right away for a fourth rounder, but he starts off in St. Louis and he's, he's getting slow roasted and never quite makes makes it along and then they sign Halak and they're rolling with the Halak Elliott tandem plus Jake Allen's in the mix. So they're like, well, we don't need this guy. Second rounder off to Ottawa, Ottawa. He gets caught behind Craig Anderson and doesn't break through. So it's off to Tampa Bay for Corey Conacher and a fourth. And that was that year that Tampa Bay squeezed every ounce of value out of Corey Conacher, including landing a franchise goaltender. Oh my goodness. I <laughs> forgot about that deal. Actually, I remember where I was during that deal. Cause if I'm not mistaken, that was a, a really early morning or late night deal. 
and I was working midnights at the time at Tim Hortons. And I remember I was working with another buddy who was a big hockey fan. And I came out of the back and I'm like, Ben Bishop. Okay. And I told him and we were just like, oh, all right, cool. I guess. <laughs> Flashbulb moment. Ben Bishop gets traded from Tampa Bay or from yeah. Ottawa for not enough. Corey Conacher. Yeah. Okay. So that lands us at number 13 for the Buffalo Sabres. Well, I'm going to solve a problem that they've had for years and I'm going to find them a goalie and get them Jonathan quick. Yeah. Once again, we're, we're back into lockstep. That's who I had here as well. Did you know he never won the Vesna? Yeah. He's, I don't, I don't even know if he's been that great, but he's been on some good teams and he makes a lot of highlight reel saves and he's, he's just a good goalie, but he gets a ton of credit for being great. I think. I've always thought he was like a great highlight reel goalie, but like if you were to sit down and watch a full game of him, there's so many times where I go, what is Jonathan quick doing? But he yeah. makes saves and he's, he's got a bit of that, uh, that Martin Brodeur playing for a defensive machine yeah. stink to him. But uh, yeah, he finishes runner up to Lundqvist in 2012. And he's also top five in heart voting that year. So he was pretty outrageous that season. But again, that's that's defensive shutdown. Los Angeles Kings wins a couple of cups. He's he's a, he's definitely a key part of that machine. But I think another goalie probably could have won some cups for that team as well. Yeah, for but sure. We'll, we'll never know. Uh, at number 14, Washington Capitals. I'm going to take Mr. Irrelevant, Patrick Hornquist. Oh, that's a good pick. The guy's just, he's, you look at him and you go, that's a hockey player. He, he battles in front. He's good along, like good along the boards. And he's a key piece in that the Penguins last couple cups. Yeah. He is something special with his, like, he's not even really that fast, but he's, he's smart enough and he's strong enough that when he's on you as a four checker, it's like, this is one of your worst nightmares. Like we talked about, what's your biggest fear? Is it Jack Johnson? And it might be like having to battle in the corner with Patrick Hornquist. Cause I'm losing that 10 times out of 10. Yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Just a horse. Oh. Uh, so number 15 for the New York Islanders finish us off here. This one was a little tougher, but I think I'm going to go with another Toronto Maple Leafs pick formerly the 216th pick Anton Strahlman. I like it. He's kind of in the mix there with some other stay-at-home defensemen like Nick Chalmerson, Matt Niskanen, Mark Stahl as guys who were really effective. But he probably stood out as an absolute analytics darling for a while there. And those Rangers teams certainly capitalized on the Leafs not knowing what they had. Yeah, I mean, the Leafs didn't know anything they had in this draft, apparently. So it was great. <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned that the Leafs had a pretty good draft, but in retrospect, who do you think had the best draft in 05? Uh, when you look back, I think you got to just look back and look at who the top players were. And I think you have to give it to the Kings. They got Kopitar and Quick. I mean, you can d default to Crosby and the Penguins automatically because he's Crosby. They but also look got the tank. Yeah. Oh, God damn. <laughs> yeah, I think it might, 
I, I think it might be the Penguins. I, I totally forgot about Latang. I just seen Jonathan Quick and Anze Kopitar, and I'm like, oh, it's them. Yeah, yeah well, that's that's five cup teams. champions and like key cogs on those champions. So, I think yeah, L.A. and Pittsburgh, they certainly they're reeling as franchises at this point, and they come out of this smelling like roses. Yeah, I mean, and and you look back on it in in 2020 hindsight, and you go, well, they. The Kings got two cups. The Penguins got three. And I mean, with the Penguins, they could get another one this year. They could get another one next year. Like it's, it's a thing that's just going to happen. So I don't think either franchise is looking back on this draft and regretting anything. No, they are maybe the only two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause when you look back at some of it, you're like, Oh, that's a good pick. I'm glad they traded him before he was a player. Or <laughs> no, you look no. and you go, why did they draft him this high? Cause there was a few of those. Yeah, some absolute head scratchers in retrospect. Uh, is there a player from this draft class that, even knowing how it's turned out for them, you still irrationally believe in them? Yeah, Jack Skilly. Like, he's not going to be a player. Like, there's no chance he makes the NHL at this point. But every time, like, the top prospects came out around that time, I'm like, oh, Jack Skilly's going to be so sick. He's going to be the best, bro. <laughs> and like, yeah, he just didn't really do much, but he was a guy I loved back then. No kidding. Um, for me, it was Ryan Parent. I'm from Northwestern uh, Ontario. He's a Sioux Lookout boy. And that shutdown pairing with Mark Stahl on those back-to-back <laughs> gold medalists in the World Juniors. And then, you know, he's he goes number 18 to Nashville, who really wishes they had been able to trade up to number 10. Um, yeah. Yeah, we all thought Parent was going to be the bee's knees, and uh, yeah, it's a shame it didn't work out. Old-style old defenseman in, in a new-style NHL. Yeah. And that, that was the thing with this, right? Is like This was the first draft where guys didn't know what the NHL was going to look like when things came back from the lockout, right? So there were a lot of guys and GMs drafted the old-school way just to find out there's no more two-line pass. and like They knew the rules were changing, but they didn't see it yet. So I think yeah. this was a really interesting draft for that reason. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a whirlwind. Like I think it's something like July 7th that they like come to terms on the CBA and it doesn't even get ratified until a little bit later than that. And then they've got to do the combine. I think it's on like the 22nd and then a week later, they've got to do this draft and we didn't talk about it, but this draft was supposed to be hosted by Ottawa. It takes place in Ottawa, but they do it just in a hotel because they they don't have enough time to summon hundreds of prospects from around the world. Like we said, Kopitar couldn't even make it to this draft and he was a lottery pick. So they end up only getting like the top 20 prospects invited to this thing and it's all hosted in a hotel and it's all like really tightly contained like if you're watching the draft uh like retrospectively you'll see like gary bettman this is the only draft where he doesn't get booed when he's setting the table at the start because there's no fans it's just the teams and everything everyone's just flying by the seat of their pants because everything is just in rapid motion and i think we need to keep that in mind yeah like one of the things i i, I found hilarious when i was looking back on it like i was watching some of the video and I'm like, it looks like a wedding on the draft floor. Like when Crosby gets up, it almost looks like they're like, oh, come make your best man speech. 
he gets up, his jacket's hanging on the back of his co- uh, his chair, and he like walks through these round tables, and it just looks awkward and weird, and yeah, like no fans are there, and it's, it's a weird one. Like the lottery was held, I think, a week before the draft. Yeah. So like teams didn't even know where they were drafting, and like you said earlier, all thirty or all thirty teams were involved in the, in the lottery. So like every Leafs fan or every Red Wings fan who like had good teams back then was like, oh, maybe I get Crosby too. So everyone was hoping. And then when it came down to it, Pittsburgh wins it. And Brian Burke's the guy that looks sat up on the stage. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, every single team was in it. And no teams had traded their first rounder going into that lottery. So we're not dealing with a situation where, like this year, Ottawa's got two lottery <laughs> picks. No, everyone's like, we know Crosby's like, he's already legendary before he even touches NHL ice and every team wants a piece of that so they're refusing to trade their picks until the the draft order is settled yeah it was a it was a fun draft to look back on because of like everything coming out of it like the context around everything like like I said come they didn't play hockey the year before then they when they came back to hockey it was like almost a different sport by with the way it was played and officiated it was it was an interesting draft Mm-hmm. And it, as it turns out, maybe the best thing that could have happened, even though it sucked to lose hockey for a year. Um, Tony, how many Hall of Famers do you think there are in this draft class? Oh, this draft class. Well, I think you got to start with Crosby's going to be the Hall of Famer. I think Carey Price is there. Anze Kopitar is probably there. I think Jonathan Quick, you talk about it. He's in consideration because he's got the cup and there's so much hype around it, how good he was. Um, Tuka Rask, maybe, maybe four, maybe five, if you really want to stretch it. I think Tuka Rask gets in over quick, but quick could maybe do it. Like, I wouldn't be shocked. Mm-hmm. I, I also had Latang in the group of uh, Latang as well, yeah. Yeah, Latang. The thing is, if if he was healthy for all those years, hundred percent, I'd agree with him. But I think he, him and Quick are definitely going to be those guys that people are like, are they? Aren't they? Are they Hall of really good players? But we'll see. Mm-hmm. And th- those players seem to usually get in. But uh, yeah, Latang, because of the injuries, he's not going to have the counting stats the same way. Like Yandel, ha- because he plays every game, has more points than him, even though Latang on a per game basis blows him away. Yeah. Uh, finishing things out. Can I entertain you with uh, a few of the best hockey names from this draft class? I would love to be entertained by that. <laughs> okay. So we talked about a few of them like Sasha pop and lock. Um, Jonathan quick. He's, he's a player, but that's a fantastic name. Martin Hansel Hansel oh. so hot right now. <laughs> um oscars bartulis what a which, name yeah he might have been my introduction to lithuanian names um <laughs> there's a bobby bolt in this draft oh i just i i picture a small speedy forward but i bet you any money he's a huge defenseman yeah he's uh he's actually the shape of the bolt on a fire hydrant oh awesome <laughs> no i have no idea <laughs> uh Dmitry Megalinsky. What a hockey name. Not just oh. any Linsky. 
He's a mega Linsky. Mega Linsky. <laughs> and then uh, we'll close out here. Jordan Smotherman. Oh, if he wasn't a defenseman or a goalie, I don't know what you do. You I just know, convert right? him at that point, right? And he played four NHL games. I have Ooh. no recollection of them, but apparently they happened. Hockey reference tells me so. Yeah. All right, Tony, this was really, really fun. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the pod. Can you plug some stuff? Where can we find you? Uh, you can find the majority of my stuff at Dauber Prospects. I tweet all out on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari, And, yeah, just constantly putting stuff out on Dauber. So head in over there. Right on, man. I've, I've really been enjoying your prospect work this season. It seems like you're you're maintaining doing monthly rankings, and that, that stuff is just catnip for me. Oh, I do my best. <laughs> Keep on keeping on, man. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks a lot, buddy. All right, everyone. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. Stick tap to Tony Ferrari for being an efficient but entertaining redrafter. Make sure you look out for his work over at Dauber Prospects as well as FC Hockey. And if you haven't already, please like, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe out there, everyone, and have a good week.